The scripture for today's sermon comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. The word of God speaks to us. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve, who he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is God's word to us. Hey, well, good morning, church. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with you here this morning to worship with you. Um, if, if you look around and you see we have lots of kids in, uh, in this service with us, the first Sunday of every month we have Family Sunday um, where our elementary students worship with us and, um, and sit under uh, teaching of God's Word. And I just want to say uh, to you children in the room, welcome. We're so gr- glad that you're here. Um, you are not other. You are a part of, of this body. You are a part of this church, and we're really excited to have you here. Um, you may or may not know that over the last three weeks, we've been walking through a short sermon series that we're calling Pursuing Faithfulness. Pursuing Faithfulness. And this comes from, from Psalm 37, where David, the psalmist, asks us to trust in the Lord, to do good, and then to befriend faithfulness. So, so last week, Jeff, uh, uh, or I guess two weeks ago, Jeff led us through what it looks like not only to, to know truth and to love truth, but also to live truth, to live in the light of truth. And, and last week, Chad painted this beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father as provider. And, and, it's, and it's out of His abundance that we can live a life of generosity Right? Generosity in our finances, generosity in our time, generosity in our energy. And so this morning, I'm going to wrap up this short series uh, by, 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 by talking about community and friendship. What does it look like to be faithful in community and in our friendships? But before we open up to the New Testament, before we talk about Jesus and his disciples and the community that he built while he was here... I want to point us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm I'm going to read that. I think that's going to be on the screen, and I'd encourage you to look at that uh, verse in your Bible. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now think, think about what's happening in this moment. For the first chapter and a half of Genesis, we've seen this rhythm of creation, God creating something and then calling it good, right? So he created light, and then he said the light was good, and he created darkness and water and land, and then he separated the water and the land, and all these things were good. And then he creates Adam, and he takes Adam, and he puts Adam in the garden, and he says, actually, this isn't good. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And I, and I think we, we look at this verse, uh, we look at this passage, and often we think about marriage, right? And that makes sense. There are certainly things that we can apply here uh, to getting married and, and to the, the beauty of marriage. But I think that there's something so much bigger that, 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 that's being pointed to here, and, and that's that we're not created to function alone. 
We're created to function together, right? Because things get weird when we're alone, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking back to this season of my life. This was my first year of teaching. The first year of teaching is always really difficult. And I had moved from uh, just south of Chicago to Altus, Oklahoma. And uh, I have my own apartment in Altus. I'm living by myself. And we had an ice storm, which meant that we had no school for like five days. And so my mom called me to check on me. And she's like, hey, how are you? What are you, what are you up to? And I'm like, I haven't seen anybody in days. I have dusted my baseboards. I'm currently bleaching my walls. Uh, Things get weird when you're alone for too long, right? Tom Hanks befriended a volleyball in Castaway, right? And and, and NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers uh, famously went on this solitude retreat, and then he came back a New York Jet, right? Like, Like things get weird when we're alone for too long. And we can laugh at those things, but, but perhaps even as I name friendship, as I name community, something in you is stirring. Right? But maybe it's, maybe it's a, a memory of a friend who has let you down. Maybe it's a memory of somebody who uh, you trusted that actually gave you wounds, Or maybe it's just a pile of unmet expectations that you carry around in regards to your friendships. Maybe when I talk about friendship or community, all of a sudden a a wall goes up and you're put on guard um, because you feel ashamed at the lack of friends in your life or the lack of margin for friends. Or perhaps maybe as I mention friendship or I mention community, it just highlights the deep loneliness that you're currently experiencing. Hear me when I say this. What, whatever it is that you are feeling, you're not alone. You're not alone in it, right? Because as a result of the fall, as a result of sin's curse, relationships are a breeding ground for pain, and for sorrow, and for discontentment, right? And it's, it's so tempting to eject on friendships. It's so tempting to, to eject on taking risks or eject on commitment. But if we believe that what Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, then we have to acknowledge that relationships can also be a breeding ground for life and for flourishing and for joy. So so grab your Bibles and, and be ready to flip between the first four books of the New Testament. Because this morning we're gonna we're gonna examine the community that Jesus built while he was here uh, doing ministry for for those three years on earth. And so I want want to start by pointing you toward um, the the passage that Emily just read for us. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, gives us an account of who these 12 men were, right? Gives them uh, names and a little bit of where they're from. But I just want to remind you that these 12 men are the men that Jesus gathered to launch his ministry. Right? And I've said this before, and I will probably say it again, but like God could have, using, uh, could have used any mechanism he wanted to project the good news of, good news of Jesus across this earth. 
right? He could have audibly spoken to everyone in the world that Jesus was here and this is the truth, right? He, he could have projected it across the sky. Hey, look at the sky and see what the gospel is. But he didn't choose to do those things. He chose to send Jesus here to then gather men who would then go out and disciple other men and women and so on and so forth. This is how God chose to share the good news of Jesus, I also want to point out about these 12 men that these 12 men were not what we would refer to as the varsity squad, right? These these were um, men who were tradesmen. They were crooks. They were outcasts. These were not men that we would have chosen if we were trying to put together a team. Right? These certainly are not men that I would have chosen if I was trying to put together a team. And so this morning we need to ask ourselves, why did Jesus do that? What was it about these 12 men that he gathered? Well, I, I, have, I have four observations that stuck out to me as I thought about Jesus and his disciples that I think are really pertinent uh, to the life of, of our church and the season that we're in right now. So I'm going to give you my outline right now. Here it is. Jesus' community was surprisingly geographical, was deeply affectionate, was profoundly messy, and was painfully temporary. Let me go through those one more time. Surprisingly geographical, deeply affectionate, profoundly messy, and painfully temporary. So let's examine how how geography affected the ways uh, that these men were gathered. Look with me at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genseret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught people from the boat. So imagine this scenario with me, right? We have have Jesus teaching and there are people crowding around Jesus, right? Because of the the, the power that he's teaching with. And so he's, he's kind of backing up, trying to get himself some space, probably feeling a little bit claustrophobic. And he backs up far enough that he turns around and realizes, oh wait, there's a lake there. Right? And so he, he, he doesn't step into his friend's boat. He doesn't step into somebody who he knows. He actually just steps into a random empty boat that happens to be behind him. And I think it's really interesting that it points out the fact that the fishermen, like the, the fishermen weren't even in the boat. The, the owner of this boat just left it abandoned. This is like jumping in somebody's car when they're filling up their gas at the gas station, right? And so Jesus steps in and then he looks around and he's like, Oh, who, who owns this boat? And he, and he says, hey, will you, will you push me out into the water so that I can continue to teach? Well, who was it that he asked to push him out? Who was it that owned the boat? It was Simon Peter. Right? Simon Peter, who, who became one of his disciples, who, who became one of Jesus' most dear friends. So I want to point out here that uh, like Jesus was trying to, to find a solution for his problem in that moment, which was people getting too close to him. He interacted with this man uh, so he could borrow his boat, and then all of a sudden this man became one of his disciples because he was near him in terms of proximity. 
See, sometimes we, we need to take our AirPods out. We need to put our phone back in our pocket, and we need to lift our eyes to see who God has put around us. I, I'm, I'm thinking of, of this, this really beautiful gift that my wife received when we were engaged. Well, so, so get this, while I'm in Altus, Oklahoma, um, Laura is in Bangladesh, and she is um, teaching English. This is a season that we were engaged, and she's teaching English in Bangladesh, and, um, and she's on a, a hospital compound. And, and on this whole compound, there's one other woman who uh, speaks English and is around Laura's age, and her name was Lynette. And for six months, Laura and Lynette lived as dear sisters in Bangladesh, right, doing life together. It was like such a profound gift from the Lord that he would bring this woman to intersect with, with Laura in that moment, right? And, and, and I don't think Laura's seen Lynette in 12 years, but, but there's, there's this beautiful thing that happened in that relationship that we just want to look to the Lord and say, thank you. I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says here um, about community in Life Together. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Right? So sometimes we can get in our own way. Right? And we spend time um, trying to recreate the type of community that maybe we had when we were in college. Or the type of community that we had before we had kids. Or the type of community that we had before we got married. Or the type of community that we hear somebody else has. Or the type of community that we dream about. And we spend so much time thinking about the type of community that we want that we actually forget what, what God has placed around us in the community that he's actually put us in. Right? Jesus didn't spend time scouring the earth looking for the most charismatic, the most talented, and the most qualified people to be disciples. He invited those who were around him to live, to sleep, to eat, to pray. Right? But, but this group of men, these disciples, they, they, they weren't only put together by geography, they, they also shared deep affection for one another. They were deeply affectionate. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. It says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I, I love these words from Jesus to his disciples in this moment. He's saying, hey, you know the way that you've experienced my love for you? You should love one another in that way, right? The, 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 the selfless way that I love you is the selfless way you should love one another. And the other thing that I want to point out from this passage that uh, I, I think is just interesting and worth highlighting is that Jesus is talking to all 12 disciples. 
He's expressing his love to all 12 disciples, knowing full well that that very soon one of those disciples is going to betray him to be murdered. Another of those disciples is going to deny knowing him several times, right? And another one, even after he's resurrected, is going to doubt that he has even resurrected or conquered death. Right? He's sitting in this group of 12 disciples expressing his love for all of them, knowing that all of them are probably going to fail him at some point. Right? I think about Jesus' affections for other people in Scripture that we see. Like we see in, in, in John chapter 11, he, he wept bitterly when Lazarus died. Even though he was going to raise him from the dead, Right? He, he actually entered into grief with the friends and family as, of, of Lazarus and, and, and grieved his death. I'm thinking about Matthew chapter 14 where, where, where Jesus hears that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded and he, he says that he, 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 escapes, um, he escapes the people around him so that he can mourn and grieve. See, Jesus knowing that his time here on earth was temporary, very easily could have steeled his heart against the deep affections of the people around him. Right? It would have saved him pain. It would have saved him energy. Honestly, it probably would have made him more efficient as a minister. But he, he chose to open his heart up to betrayal, to loneliness, to grieving, to suffering, all because it isn't good for man to be alone. It, it would not have been good for, for Jesus to spend his time on earth emotionally isolated from the community where God had planted him. So, so take a minute with me to, to think about the inverse of what God is saying in Genesis 2. If he's saying it's not good for man to be alone, then the opposite of that is that it is good for man to have companionship. It is good for man to have companionship because where we have affection, where we have friendship, we experience blessing. Right? Meals taste better when they're shared among brothers and sisters. Right? Sorrow is, is, is easier to bear when there are lots of shoulders to bear it with you, and laughter is more contagious when there are more people to catch it. Right? The, the bigger the risks that we take with one another, the, the bigger payoff is there. Right? So, so where there's vulnerability, where there's the possibility of pain and betrayal, there's also the possibility of deeper joy and deeper belonging because it is good for us to have companionship. May our friendships be like the ones that Jesus cultivated, deeply affectionate regardless of the risk. Because, friends, uh, there is absolutely risk here, right? There is risk because relationships are profoundly messy. They're profoundly messy. We see this with the disciples. We see this all throughout Scripture that that friendships are messy. 
And, and so this is the moment, church, when we can all um, kind of snicker and kind of laugh at the disciples and how faithless and forgetful um, and, and how, how quickly they forgot um, how to follow Jesus. And we can snicker until we realize that every single one of us would have made the same mistakes that they did. Right? So, so look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. It says this. And, and, and when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And, but he was asleep. And they, went, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Let me remind you what these disciples experienced right before this moment on the boat. Right? They saw Jesus heal people of leprosy. They saw Jesus remove deadly fevers. They saw Jesus tell, tell men and women who were paralyzed to get up and walk, and then they did. Right? And, and, and they, they, they stand there, and, and Jesus is telling them, hey, there's actually nothing more important in your life than following me. And they're looking at him going, yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm with you. Let's do it, Jesus. Yes. And then they get on the boat, and then the waters get choppy, and their knees get weak, and they look around, and they completely lose their minds because they think their lives are going to end. And so they go wake Jesus up, and, and Jesus responds by saying, hey, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And if I were to put my translation in there, um, I think Jesus was saying something uh, to the effect of, seriously, I just fell asleep, right? Seriously, I just fell asleep. See, his relationship with these disciples was profoundly messy, it was riddled with faithlessness. It was riddled with anxiety. But Jesus didn't leave. We've all experienced messiness in friendships. I don't, I don't think I need to stand here and, and, and tell you the ways in which friendships can get messy because we've experienced those things. But what I do want to press on this morning is how do you respond how do you respond when things get messy? When, when someone who you love makes an unhelpful comment about your parenting. When, when, when you, you hear that all of your people have gotten together for some kind of a gathering except for that your, your people forgot to invite you. When you sit in a room and you look around and you feel like you're the only person in the room who doesn't have people. How, how do we respond? How did Jesus respond to the messiness of his disciples? Well, we can point out a few things that he didn't do. He didn't go and try to find more disciples. Right? He, he didn't, he didn't uh, try to replace the ones who brought forth messiness. And, and he also didn't sweep their faithlessness under the rug. Right? He addressed it. 
he also didn't let it derail his calling. Right? They, they, they get off of the boat after the storm, after he calms everything. They, they get off the boat and then they go and start casting the demons into a herd of pigs. Right? It, it didn't derail his ministry. See, friends, I, I think that when our relationships get messy, and I say when, I don't say if, but when they get messy, we cannot just eject under the banner of our own mental health or our own self-preservation. We, we, we have to be more resilient than that. Right? We're, we're called to, to pray for reconciliation, to, to, a, to address the issue, to apologize where we have offended others, and to forgive where we've been offended, and then move forward. Right? If Jesus had ejected when the community around him got messy, then he would have lived a life in total isolation. Hear me, church, we are free to forgive one another because he forgave us. Right? He has already redeemed our relationships, so, so let's live like it. Now, now, there is a caveat here. Right? There's, there's a caveat here. If, if you find yourself this morning in a relationship that you would characterize as abusive, that you would characterize as, as, as in a cycle of unhealth, please don't hear me telling you that you're supposed to go navigate that relationship on your own or just sweep those issues under the rug. Right? In situations such as that, like, like we often have to seek wise counsel and bring someone else in to help us navigate those relationships. Right? And sometimes we bring in professionals to help us navigate those relationships. And, and if that's you this morning, like if you're in that spot, please hear me when I say, like from the bottom of my heart, we would love to help you. We would love to, to either get you in touch with someone who can help uh, or step in and help ourselves. But what I am saying is that we can't just self-diagnose someone as toxic and write them out of our lives because they've offended us once. Right? We, we have to be more resilient than that. So Jesus' community that he built was geographical, it was affectionate, it was messy, and it was painfully temporary. It was painfully temporary. And, and to be honest, this one feels a little too close to home for me. Uh, particularly in this month, the, the month of September where uh, my wife and I are gonna be saying goodbye to Bryce and Robin Johnson. This, this family who has uh, partnered to lead this church for several years, who've been deep friends of ours, who are sending back to Austin to strengthen a church plant there. Man, it, 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 it's a painful goodbye. Bryce and, I, uh, Bryce and I shared an office for two and a half years, right? And in this transition from school teacher to vocational ministry, he walked with me through that whole process, right? So when I send, when we send Bryce and Robin back to Austin, man, a part of my heart goes with them. 
right? And it's not just Bryce and Robin who we're saying goodbye to this month. We're also sending our dear brother John out of our community group, who's a, a brother who I've, I've sat with, I think, every Thursday night for close to five years now. And, and, and he's going to be launching his own community group, which we're so excited about. And we want to we bless and we want to send and we want to commission him. And also we grieve the, the leaving of our dear brother out of our group. Right? But, but this story is not just about the Chapins. Right? It's not just about us because uh, as a church, we're going to send Bryce and Robin. And we're going to both mourn and celebrate them going back to Austin. And, and as a church, come the end of this uh, month, we're going to be launching three new community groups in our, in our area, which is beautiful and exciting, but it also means that six of our nine current community groups are going to be sending families out of their current groups to go be a part of these new groups. It would be so easy if we never had to say, goodbye. But when we look at scripture, we see painful and beautiful goodbyes everywhere throughout this book. I want to point to one in particular. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. We see Jesus sending the disciples away from him. It says, he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. It's important to know that when Jesus gathered this community, he didn't then go looking for a lake house where this community could grow old together. Right? That, that's not the heart of what he was doing. Right when, when, when Jesus is sending these men, it's also important to know that this is Luke chapter 9, and it's not until Luke chapter 23 that Jesus is crucified. So, so what that tells us is that Jesus isn't just sending his disciples out because he's no longer available to lead them and walk with them. He's actually sending them out because disciples making disciples is God's plan to advance his gospel across the globe. Right? If, if we are going to be a part of a, of a healthy community, then we have to practice saying goodbye. And sometimes we, we say goodbye because we're the ones that are leaving. Sometimes we have to say goodbye because we're actually the ones that are staying. Either way, they're never easy, and they are what is required of us to model after Jesus. We are ascending people. So, so how does all of this relate back to faithfulness? Right? You might be wondering that, right? Like, like Jeff's sermon on living truth has an obvious tie back to faithfulness. Right? And Chad's sermon on generosity, like we, we want to be generous, we want to give um, in, in a way to show our faithfulness to the, the best and first giver. Right? So maybe you're sitting there going, hey, is it really unfaithful for me to live a life as a loner Christian? Like, is friendship and community actually a faithfulness issue? Hear me when I say emphatically, yes. The answer to that question is yes. Let me, let me show you what I mean by pointing back to Genesis 2 one more time. See, 
See, God had created Adam. And he created him perfectly. And then he takes Adam and he puts him in a perfect garden. Right? Where, where there's, there's no sin. There's no curse. There's, there's nothing about that situation that shouldn't have been good. Adam has has an unbroken relationship with his father. He has an unbroken relationship with creation. And yet, God still says, hey, it's actually not good. It's, it's this weird juxtaposition of perfect creation and God saying that what he created, this thing, in, in its current existence was not good, right? So we take that truth and then we, we pair it with, with the first thing that Jesus did when he started his ministry was to gather people and we have to come to the conclusion that we're not called to live alone, right? If, if anybody was qualified to live a life as a loner Christian in isolation, it would have been the Son of God, Right, but that's not what Jesus did. We, we see it in Scripture. Jesus over and over prioritized relationships. And he, and he didn't just prioritize relationships so that he might be blessed, although friendships and relationships are a blessing to us as we experience him. They're a beautiful grace. He, he also prioritized relationships because relationships and friendship are a way that, that we can bless others, right? That we can uh, actually do ministry by loving others well. See, Jesus wasn't only blessed by those he befriended, he also gave blessing to those who he befriended. So yes, living in community is a faithfulness issue. And there are several ways that we can experience these types of friendships, right? I've touched on them. Sometimes uh, it's like Laura in Bangladesh, and God is just so kind uh, to bring another person that intersects with you, and it just makes sense geographically, right? So, sometimes you just meet somebody, and you just click, right? You have things in common. The way that you relate to one another um, makes sense, and it's just easy, Right? And we want to we thank God for those uh, moments. We want to praise him. But we also want to recognize that those, uh, those often are pretty rare. Right? Because most often, pursuing these kinds of friendships actually requires us to actively move towards people and exercise the discipline of building friendships. Not waiting on friendships to come to us. So, so we choose to share meals with men and women who most likely will wound us at some point, right? And, 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 and we choose to open our hearts up to relationships that will most likely require us to say goodbye sooner than we really want to, right? And, and we choose, as Bonhoeffer put it, to love the community that's around us rather than dreaming about the community that we wish that we had, right? We are made to enjoy life together. Jesus invites us into relationship with him, and it's through him that we're joined together because God says that it's not good for us to be alone. Would you pray with me?